The year is 1989. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Variant cover. year 1989 variant cover live for those of you here on the twitch.tv slash my marvelous year stream i'm dave i'm the founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com he's zach we are yep. here today to talk about <laughs> the marvel comics zach, completely lacking in uh <clears throat> accolades well, how, how would you describe yourself how would you sell yourself you know somebody meets you at a party um like somebody meets me at a party i'm like i'm dave Founder, founder of and Comic Book Herald. <laughs> comic Book Herald. Uh, yeah. I'm more of a Comic Book Gerald. Um, if people talk to me, like, that's that's my. That's body. what you tell them that yeah. you say I'm comic. I'm more of a Comic Book Gerald, and they and everybody just knows. They all mm-hmm. just know because they're they're fa- you know they're they're friends with the uh, the My Marvelous Year Slack, which of course you can join and participate in via Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. Thanks to those of you who have joined. Again, this is going to be our 1989 variant cover. This is going to be, if I'm not mistaken, the last episode we record of the entire 1980s. So our My Marvelous Year journey, where we go year by year through Marvel history from its origins to today, we started in 1961. Well, technically we did like a golden age thing, but really we started in 1961. We have now covered the entirety of the 1980s, and mm-hmm. it is time, it is time to move into the year the year of our childhoods, really, if we're being honest, right? The decade we, we care about the most, the 1990s. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do. We got a lot of good. That, that was a really good intro, today. but we are doing one more 1989 variant cover in three weeks. Oh, jump the gun! Yeah, sorry, jumped the but gun. Yeah, everything you said still basically holds. No, no, it's a bust. All right, take it away. I gotta, I gotta take a minute and recover. All right. Well, so uh, th- I think what we're gonna talk about here a lot. We're gonna, we have a bunch of questions about kind of wrapping up the 80s and looking forward to the 90s. Um, we 89's been pretty fun so far. We had Inferno, two two issues or two episodes for Inferno, and uh, finished up that Grunwald Captain saga, <clears throat> which was excellent. Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange, Excalibur, all that stuff. Um, so we got some questions here. Before we get into that, though, I want to read. We have a really nice review here on iTunes. You can head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Love to see those. This is from Brandaham Lincoln. And Thank they you, write, yeah, lots of fun. You guys have good chemistry together. No jokes. I think he means like he's not joking. No, I think he's telling us to stop joking. Like we're I, I think he's just saying that like we have good other. chemistry, but we don't tell jokes, which just means that like our humor is not working for this person. So we have we have good chemistry, and it, the good chemistry is good because we but rarely joke. No jokes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I use CBH quite often, and Cracking Krakoa was great to run through while waiting for more Hickman X to come out. Excited to listen to the rest of this. I'm on 72, and then moving on to my ultimate year. Thanks again, guys. Well, thank you, Brandaham Lincoln. 
Thank you for the awesome comment. If you do like the Marmor Office Year show, comments uh, like that, reviews, as they call them over on iTunes, do help us out a good deal. And, of course, the other way you can support the show is to go on over to patreon.com slash year if you are so inclined. All right, so this is a variant cover. we got lots of good questions to get to today. Um, Zach, is there any other uh, business, any other state of My Marvelous Year affairs you want to touch on? Um, I, I guess we just recorded a Patreon special. Mm-hmm. Talking about uh, our reading of Marvel's 2003-2004 epic comics classic, Trouble, which you can find in the Patreon podcast feed, exclusive to those of you supporting us uh, via Patreon. Yeah, yeah. $3, $3 listeners get access to all our like bonus episodes. Cool buns. All right, let's dig cool, into cool, 1989. Cool, cool buns. buns. That's just how I transition, you know, it's from like one topic to another. Phrase that adults or children or humans use but um. i think uh, we've been recording for what two years yeah longer at this point i I would think by now you know about cool buns we spent Mm. a lot of time together for you to not i'm having a hard time yes ending this one okay that's that's evergreen that's very that (laughs) that is certainly true you do just like completely baffle me enough into uh into silence which is tough to do um all right do, do do you want me to start out with a question please all right, Dan in our Slack writes, here's some Zacknip, which I love, Zacknip. Now that Zach we're Nip. Yeah, yeah. Uh now that we're really almost through the eighties, can you make the argument that Byrne actually had a good had as good a decade at Marvel as Claremont? If you look at the foot arcs <laughs> That is some Zacknip. <laughs> yeah. If you look at the full arcs of them very Who is this? Books, Who's asking this question? Dan. Not Dan, you should know better. How dare you? If you, you look at the full arcs of the various mutant books, Claremont's achievement is undeniable. But Byrne has part of the strongest run. Byrne was part of the strongest runs of the decade on three top series: X Men, FF. Although it was short, Avengers, West Coast Avengers. Although Stearns was as good or possibly better. I don't believe that. Strongest at all. run of the decade: Avengers, West Coast. No, thank you. No, thank you. You think there's a better West Coast Avengers run than Byrne's? In that's the a. That's a. That's contextualizing. In a certain way, saying compared to other Avengers, just uh, compared yes. to Marvel? No, absolutely not. No, I, I actually kind of agree with that. And that doesn't include his she, She-Hulk relaunch. Not to mention that he only wrote those series, but drew them as well. Um, That's true. That's true. So, I, yeah, I, I think if if we're talking about the top creators at Marvel, um, it's definitely... Top Miller creators Claire. of the 80s, right? Mi- yeah, so yeah. we're yeah. saying of the, the decade... 80s, yeah. Who dominated the deck? I mean, Byrne is around it's consistently enough and across a wide enough variety of series that there aren't a ton of creators that can quite match that level of, like, being there and generally being pretty good. Byrne, um, Miller, and Claremont. I'll give you I that. I think those are, those are the three that, like, I can't argue if anyone says they're number one. Right? Well, like Miller, it is... Miller on a, on a per-comic basis is obviously number one, right? I mean, like, on a, on a mm-hmm. quality per-release basis... Yeah, it's, I agree. it's a every, home run every all time. All killer, no filler, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it, he wins in that regard. What he doesn't win on is density, right? It is volume yeah. of product. Um, now, if we just look at the initial question, the initial framing here, Claremont v. Byrne, right, who actually had the better decade. Uh, for me, it's Claremont very easily. I mean, mm-hmm. easily. And it's like, just look at who's more additive to the Marvel Universe. Like, yeah, like yeah, look yeah. at all the stuff Claremont... Claremont defines the X-Men universe at Marvel. Again, a lot, like Byrne gets credit, right, for the for the early days, for the early part of the decade, certainly through but Dark like, Phoenix. And but not necessarily more past. than, like, Cockrum would get, you know? Like. Um, 
I would give him a bit. Well, I don't know. Cockrum like gets all the designs, right? You know, right? right? And <laughs> yeah. he he gets them rolling. Um, Burn is there for like you know we we talk again like just those iconic storylines in a way that Cockrum isn't. But yeah, like no, he's like a huge player. But again, I mean, then Claremont he continues for the entire rest of the decade, <laughs> and it's the and it's the biggest thing in Marvel. It's constantly adding stuff. We get new mutants after that point. Um, even if I don't love it, we get Excalibur after that point. You know, there's all sorts of stuff yeah, that sure. that gets added, and just mutant after mutant after mutant. I mean, this is the thing you talked about in our last 199 episode. Just like, oh yeah, and here's the introduction to Jubilee. Like, guess we have time for that now. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. so I mean, that I mean, Burns. What what is Burn? What are his contributions? At this point in time, forget like, forget like, oh, this is pretty good and that's pretty good. Yeah, I would say like, Finn he has helps develop core... She-Hulk pretty well. Yeah, she- She-Hulk is the number one for me. Like, he makes She-Hulk the character she is, full stop, for me, right? Like, before this, I think she's pretty generic. And then in Fantastic Four, he finds her voice and then he continues to, like, defi- you know, like, uh, what's the word? Refine that in Sensational She-Hulk. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. But okay. besides so, that, okay, like, so Fantastic sure. Four... There. I adore that Fantastic Four run. When it ends, Fantastic Four is not significantly new or pushed in a new direction. The way that, like, no. once Miller was finished with Daredevil, you're like, okay, well, everyone's going to be, you know, riding on the coattails of this. Everybody is going to be like, this is the new direction for Daredevil. This yeah. is, we're adding on top of this. I, I think you're totally right. We're like, Burns Fantastic Four is great in that moment. There are stuff, you know, there, there's moments, the Trial of Galactus, I think that has ramifications, but like, sure, right. It doesn't, he doesn't feel like, he is really pushing things in brand new directions. Oh, I, I do want to point out um, JMD Mateus, I think ha- maybe is in the conversation too for top creators. He, he just doesn't have quite as much stuff, but Craven's Last Hunt and that Captain America run are both like very top tier. I mean, we've already done our best. Uh, people are writing Simonson in the uh, the chat. I don't. I, I mean, the, even these if are I all liked... the creators in the conversation, but it, it, the the actual picks I, for the top come I think down those three, to Frank I think, Miller, I think Chris Claremont. Pretty... And yeah. probably John Byrne. I mean, yeah, I, I think, think those three the, are pretty in terms of just volume and and what they contributed. Yeah. Um, there might be creators you like more on an, on a per project basis for sure. I hear that, uh, but those are the big ones. But yeah, I, I would just, for me, I don't know. Do you do you agree? Like you're not as big a Claremont fan so, uh, as I am. I I don't. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's subjective. Um, for for me, no fandom, like no. Is- <laughs> Stop. Burns Burns who I want to read more in the '80s, but. Uh, I think you're definitely right, and I can't argue with anyone who thinks that Claremont is, you know, a bigger deal and the the best creator of the '80s. Because even if I am f- frustrated by it, and we're gonna actually we have a question about this coming up later, even if I like feel a little Claremonted out, I would say that like the two big moments of like huge creative, um, not a sea change, but a, a like a, an enormous step forward in Marvel was like. Stan and Kirby in 62 with Ditko, right? The three of them, like, creating everything. Yeah. And, and other people, of course. There's, there's other artists involved. Um, But, like, the, you know, the, the the launch of the Silver Age with all the characters we know. And then Claremont pushing the mutant line in the 70s and 80s. Like, I think he just created an entirely new, like, you know, it's almost like now it's like the big two and a half for me, right? Because there's like Marvel, and then there's the mutant corner of Marvel that is like, right. I mean, I, I put that Twitter poll out a while ago that was like, if you could only read Marvel X-Men or Marvel everything but X-Men or Marvel mutant or Marvel everything but the mutants, and it came down like 50-50, right? Like people are yeah, as big of a fan of just the mutant corner as they are the rest of it, and that's all Claremont. 
like well and, and Len Wein and Dave Cockerham and, oh right and I mean Byrne, but the yes, people but, that make it happen right but it, yes yeah. you're right that like yeah, yeah, yeah this is that's when it happens right that's from from 75 through the 80s is when it becomes the biggest thing to like you know to the point where we're reading Amazing Spider-Man and on the cover it has to point out the non-mutant book <laughs> you know mm-hmm, yeah. like it absolutely takes over and, and that's where that's what we're walking into as we do approach <clears throat> 1990 he's doing I mean Claremont's doing they're releasing two issues of X-Men a month in 1989, right? Mm-hmm. It's that popular that they can sell two a month while also having the new mutants and Excalibur's launching and Wolverine's going, right? Like, there are four? Is that four? Did I just list? Yeah, five five different issues of mutant books just coming out a month at Marvel. That's, I mean, even Spider-Man didn't have that, right? Spider-Man at tops had three. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, so, no, I mean, not personally for me, but I absolutely, like, can acknowledge that he has you know, his influence. Um... Dave writes, hello to the Marvelous hosts. Now that the 80s are wrapping up and we're moving full speed into the 90s, there are going to be some major changes in the art styles driven by guys like Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee. To what extent are you dreading this rather infamous stylistic shift and or mm. looking forward to the change up? Yeah. We've seen a little okay. bit of Liefeld. I'll, I'll let you go first because I think you're pretty, I think you're pretty excited. Um, so we've seen some Liefeld. I liked it fine. Like I, <laughs> uh, I have been called uh, insane for saying that Liefeld's X Factor is better than Simonson's, but I so totally stand by that. Like <laughs> based I, on a single issue, yeah, some some would document that as pretty wild. Yeah, well, I mean, I just I think that Simonson art is like my least favorite we've ever read. But uh, and I think I think uh, that, slander. Yeah, yeah, it's always here. That uh, that Rob Liefeld issue is fine, right? Like he's he's got some real energy to it. That like he's not a incompetent artist. Um, he just I, I don't know. We we haven't gotten into it yet. I haven't read that much. Liefeld in the future, so uh, I'm going to have to withhold judgment. I'm mostly I, I'm curious, and I'm sure I'm going to be grumpy about it at some point, right? Like I'm excited in that way. It is of your like, way. It is your yeah. way. Yeah, I, mean, I'm just I would say to, to find 90s comics have long ago entered like a cultural consensus. Yeah, sort of like you know, oh, these are bad, right? Like 90s, yeah. so extreme. Like oh, it ends up with like this weird realm of like oh like there's just an assumption that these things are bad even if people like haven't read that many of them it's kind of like like 80s music i feel like it's a a vibe like this but it's usually when they're talking about that they're talking about like hair metal and the most like the excess of stuff they're not talking about joy division they're not talking about the pixies they're not talking about eric b and rakeem you know what i mean so like there are lots of good 90s comics you know just the ethos and the style and all that uh, that does tend to overwhelm, and certainly, like that's a big part of it. Okay, so I'm I'm not dreading it at all. I'm a, I'm actually pretty interested. Again, like yeah, we've we've talked about this before, but uh, you know, this is for a lot of folks. Like for where we're at age wise, like this was the ch- this was my childhood, but it wasn't a childhood spent reading comics. So it's like these were comics that were like marketed to me, but that I didn't read. You know what I mean? And and in Marvel Unlimited, when I did the club the first time, they didn't have a lot of the 90s stuff in the in the catalog okay so we're gonna have an opportunity here as we go back and as i update the lists to to dig into what it what the what is truly coming out in this period in a way that i haven't um on some level you know i'm not like oh i want to literally read everything that came out but definitely i'm curious uh to explore more of it i will say just like stylistically you know the the Jim Lee and the the Liefeld and and the Image guys like fusion style mm-hmm. is I I don't love it. Okay, I like it on a poster. I don't know that I love it in interiors, but it is yeah. going to vary contextually. 
Okay, but that's like my very broad strokes. Like I do think visually comics get harder and less enjoyable to to move through, but again, it's a case by case thing, you know. Like like Jim Lee, it turns out, is very good at the Jim Lee style. But, you know, people who follow up in 1996 trying to do that mm-hmm. with limited resources and on very tight turnarounds and from names you have never heard of, uh turns out they can't do it, right? So it's like there's there's instances where it's awesome and I dig and I, it. I, I mean uh, I love great. I, I love like a big um like a big flashy style, like a big art an artist having a, a really like unique, crazy aesthetic. Yeah. But I also value uh visual storytelling and like coherent visual storytelling more, right? So like if it is sacrificing the ability to read the comic uh and for it to like flow well, then you know, I, I just I'm gonna be frustrated with it. I mean like Sinkevich is the the exception to that, right? He can kind of do both, where it is just this like wild fever dream that also has the ability to like read smoothly. But yeah, yeah. That, that I mean that's why like Simonson is frustrating to me because like I his style's okay, but uh, especially on like X Factor, that that's the one. I mean Thor. Thor's... You don't like X Factor? I hadn't I hadn't heard. Um, oh, it is yeah, interesting yeah. to consider like like if you took that if somebody told you that Rob Liefeld was the Bill Sinkevich of the 90s like if, if you just had that perspective mm-hmm. of like everything he's doing and you just approach the comic from like well i don't expect him to follow the norms because just look at this artwork like to try to put yourself in that mindset of like allowing someone that freedom you know what i mean because it, it's like with bill sinkevich like unless you come into comics totally blind you know yeah um in some cases literally like it's going to be a challenge to not know that like oh clearly this is something different that i'm not supposed to follow as directly as jack kirby intended you know what i mean yeah yeah so i it is kind of I, I don't know I, I don't know that i have that ability i don't know that i have that capability um to evaluate art quite in that mindset but it is interesting to consider like if you just kind of open your mindset to like okay what were they actually doing here like okay, i'm yeah. supposed to follow this differently how do i how do i do this well um, i mean that's why people maybe it's like not that good i don't really have necessarily like big preconceived notions of a lot of this stuff Right, so I think that's why like people are uh, <laughs> think I'm bonkers when I say that like Rob Bollyfeld is better than Simonson at X Factor art, right? Because I think like he's such a meme at that point. Like Simonson is so cemented as a all time great creator, and Liefeld is cemented as a all time terrible creator. That that you know that statement just uh, I think like it does not compute <laughs> for a lot of people. Well, it doesn't. Like, I mean, it's it's yeah, but you have to. You have to be cognizant of that when you're when you're making such an outlandish claim. Well, I, you know? I mean, to, to be fair, right? I was talking about the one issue, right? <laughs> we switched yeah. it from yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I probably will come down that Simonson is a better artist overall. If if by the end of 1992, mm-hmm. you're still of the mindset that you'd rather read Rob Liefeld's work on X Force than um, Simonson's Thor, I mm-hmm. will be. Probably not Inter- Thor. I will be interested to hear that. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for your patience. Yes. All right, let's uh, let's get to the next one. Uh, Peter, this is kind of following up. The 90s have a bit of an infamous, infamous reputation. At times, you have admitted to struggling to find anything worthwhile to add to the lists. I think that's that's uh, That's one specific year, yeah. I would say. Yeah. There, there's literally 1997 in the My Marvelous Year lists is, uh, is pretty scarce. I would say a huge part of this, there's, let's put this in context, right? A huge part is there wasn't that much filled in in Marvel Unlimited. That is going to change. Another huge part of it is um, Marvel went bankrupt. Yeah. (laughs) Like that year. (laughs) Like it's a weird year in Marvel Comics. So that's less, 
that's less a testament to there being anything of value to read. Again, like, we did this on a previous episode. I don't remember when, but, like, we're going to get the Starlin on Thanos again. We're going to get Infinity Gauntlet. We're going to get that trilogy. We're going to get Future Imperfect for Hulk. We're going to get Age of Apocalypse, which I'm a huge fan of. There's real and like, 90s X-Men, like, remains well, let's, very You're, you're answering the question. Uh, he, he wrote, like, there's obviously notable classics, Infinity Saga, Age of Apocalypse. What are hidden gems of the 90s we should okay. be looking forward to that don't get the recognition they deserve? I can't answer this. The 90s is the biggest blank spot for me blind spot like period like i've read a some of the 2000s i've read a little bit of the 2010s i read a fair amount of the 80s before this i have basically not read anything from now until 1998 i think when the marvel knights era start because i've read right. some of that with the exception of the infinity saga i've read that stuff but besides yeah, infinity the 90s saga will, the 90s will be it's interesting because it's, it's finally living up to the promise of this podcast <laughs> like <laughs> these are the, this is the only yeah. decade well, that will actually fulfill I mean, 19, the idea uh, of me having oh, read maybe them like and a you decade uh, 1989 like this list last year i hadn't read literally any of these comics before sure, we did right so sure. like we're mostly in that territory now with you know it's going to be spotty from here on out but um for the most part i probably haven't read 90% of what we're covering yeah, yeah, okay. I, I would yeah. say some underrated gems, um, some stuff I really like that maybe we haven't talked about as much. Uh, well, it's not underrated, but Marvel Comics Presents does a 12-issue uh, Barry Windsor Smith story called Weapon X that is probably my favorite Wolverine comic ever. Um, there's, I really like the, I think it's, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the creator, and we'll definitely get this right when we cover him, but there's a deceptively good Iron Man run here um, when we finally get like real war machine, those comics actually kind of surprised me as we worked our way through the nineties. I want to say the creator's name is Kavanaugh, but I, I could be way off on that. Um, let's see what, uh, I, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of stuff. I mean, again, like I'm, these lists are not just going to be like, I, I'm not going to just be like, well, we got to get to 10 stories. Like we're still going to have plenty to read. Yeah. And again, like because Marvel unlimited has filled in what is actually in their catalog, it's going to be a lot easier to do this, you know, it's, it's going to be it, the problem I have with these lists perpetually is, you know, you want to inevitably you want to include a lot more than is possible um, to actually get through in a, a reasonable amount of time. And that's not going to change in the 90s. It does. I don't know. There were certain years that got easier for me. But uh, but again, that was mostly due to like limited availability. So it'll it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Stick with I, us. It'll be it'll be a good excited, time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a couple questions here talking about crossovers. Um, I'm just going to lump them together, both from Kyle and Johannes. Um, we've had Contest of Champions, Secret Wars 1, 2, all the different X events. Uh, we've had, we didn't read this, but the crossover that like took place in the annuals, Evolutionary War, and I think Atlantis Attacks. Um, basically, these questions are asking like, how effective are these crossovers? What uh, what do we like? What do we dislike? Etc. What would you say for you has been the style of crossover that you've been the most into? Forget the content, mm-hmm. but like, what is the style of delivering a crossover that you felt the best about? Um, so I the thing is, it like it has to do with the and and I usually don't like to bring this into the conversation too much, but the like the editorial mandate to or not to be involved in a crossover, right? Um, so we talked about this and said, like, they got to choose, like, we wanted to bring our, you know, toys to the, the yard and like play in the inferno space. Right. But if you didn't want to, you didn't have to, like, that is everything I want from it where like, I don't mind all these different series being pulled in to the crossover, as long as the creators involved in the original series feel like they have something to do, feel like they have a story to tell. Um, so, uh, yeah, inferno, I mean, the, 
I, I guess I mean, in I, theory the annual thing sounds nice, but I guess I've heard many times it does not actually work out that well. Yeah, right. Well, and, and I think part of the problem with it not working out as well is like those series do tend to feel more like, well, I guess our annual has to tie into this thing now, um, as opposed to like feeling a bit more organic. I mean, I think our Inferno is the best 80s crossover, um, which I, I don't know that I would have said prior to us like reading and, and going back through the decade. Um, but I, I do think it is, and I think a part of that is, like, creators just get to play in, in like, their world. You know, they don't have to, like, reinvent their world, but then there's, like, a framework. There's a device of, like, and all these things are happening. Can you loop that in, right? Yeah. And for Inferno, that works pretty well. Um, I, I feel like Secret Wars 2 is probably the only very obvious example of, like, in, the, in that case, like, the editor-in-chief being, like, you have to do my thing. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. you have I'm gonna, to do I'm it my gonna way. I'm just going to kill all of your characters, all the new mutants. They're going to die and then yeah. be traumatized, and you know. It, so yeah, that that's really the thing is where like. So I guess where it comes to crossovers, I, I think I like the idea of the the like the creative teams being able to opt in, right? And then also the idea of the crossover, not necessarily like I like the the mutant books tie in a little more directly, right? Like Claremont's overseeing those, but then also like. Um, Louise Simonson, right? She's bringing, like, I, I think Claremont and Louise were clearly, like, working really closely together on doing, like, the overall Inferno story. Whereas, like, I mean, Nascenti was, like, working as editor on that, so I'm sure she was involved as well. But the Daredevil yeah. stories are not really primary to the Inferno storyline, right? Like, this is Daredevil no. experiencing that. That's kind of what I like. You know, I kind of like, like, if you have a fun event that is touching all corners of the Marvel Universe, like, just have it, like, touch the you know these different uh like comics and these different like character stories see how they react to it if it's a fun idea right like hell in manhattan is a fun idea you can have the other characters play around with that if you have something to do with it that's yeah i i mean i, I think that's my my big thing it doesn't have to be this like big impactful like you know daredevil doesn't need to be fighting uh, whatever his name is the the demon there um I keep thinking nasturtium. That's not right. It starts with an N. <laughs> Nastier. Nastier. Um, <laughs> yeah. So much of it comes down to, to just like the creators and just kind of how willing they are to play with it. Um, like you said, like yeah. if, you know, Anna Santi, I, I don't want her in that Daredevil run to like totally go out of her way to like not deal with all the things that were happening in previous issues. You know, and I, I think that's mm-hmm. a, a problem exactly. a lot of fans have with crossovers a lot of times where it's like, well, it just interrupted my book. I yep. think the best creators uh when they they handle it well and kind of probably through research and and just their own experience but like they basically they keep telling their story but just now incorporate all the other craziness that's going on then we read the spider-man crossover with um was it david michelini and mcfarland and those feel like they kind of are just like yeah we're acknowledging it's happening but we're not really doing anything about it but it's still our story yeah and i I tend to actually appreciate that more i mean i I guess i appreciate that more than it being interrupted but in that case, I kind of was just like, well, why do you even really do it to begin with? You know, like, just ignore you it. You can then. have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. You could, yeah, like, right. if Spider-Man was still just doing his NYC thing, you know, like, there's the, the nerds that are going to be like, oh, well, technically, at the same time, like, demons were invading. Spider-Man has no reaction. And it's just like, it's all suspension of disbelief. You know, I, I think that works fine just to just to ignore that. And, you know, if, it, if it's not something that is literally touching, like, all corners of the superhero universe then you know kind of just, uh, I, yeah i do want to say though like my favorite actual crossover style at this point is mute massacre which was just like here's 12 comics here's how they go <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and that's it that's the event um i actually tend to like that like 10 to 18 range 
mm-hmm. for these types of things. Now yeah. that's a lot harder to do when it is Marvel Universe wide, but then the question becomes, does it need to be Marvel Universe wide? Which is kind of what you're saying with Spider-Man there. Yeah. Which is like, does that actually need an Infernal crossover? Um, or is it just weird to not talk about all the demons everywhere? Because clearly that should be a thing, you know? But then, like, so, Thor and Power Pack come into the Mutant Massacre, and it's like, Thor? Why is Thor involved with this? Sure, you can bring Except- other... But you can bring books that maybe wouldn't be typical, but yeah, again, it's is on fun, a limited right? scale. I, yeah. I tend to prefer that. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually don't mind the, like, the... Um, the structure of mutant massacre it just is the idea that like that that barely registers as an event because it doesn't have like an arc to it it's just kind of a flat line of like uh they showed up and some things happened and then they left hang on <laughs> in the in the live stream here it says the um it's the morlock hater has signed on is that oh yeah. sorry that's that's your other handle sorry i didn't mean to give away your alt there um <laughs> yeah just that's what i mean when something happened i'm just talking about all the the morlocks Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. all right we got one more question here uh charlotte asks it's a big one if you had to choose do you prefer the x-men or the new mutants in the 80s whether it just be their comics uh or the teams themselves and then she writes a big answer where she likes the new mutant the new mutants i don't actually like the new mutants more they've just never been my team i probably came to them Hmm. too late honestly but i will say like that series That team gets a lot more time to actually, like, build, you know, in a way that the X-Men, I don't know, do they get, maybe they do get the same, but it's just, while the, like, from the time period the new mutants are developing, which is what, like, 82, is it 84? Whatever it is, like, 80, between, like, early 80s through the end of the decade, like, that, that core unit is pretty stable. Yeah. You know, um, we kind of, we kind of know what that team is, they get to develop and grow together. Yeah. Uh, whereas the X-Men, I mean, they actually stay together basically from giant size through what? Like through like 150. So that's actually a pretty long time. But then for the rest of the decade, then it's just like total flux. You know, right, like exactly. the line of really It's like the Avengers up. where like the team is coming and going and coming and going. And then like splintering into other teams where Excalibur becomes, oh, this was the X-Men. It's Excalibur now. Or not Excalibur. Um x-factor and then excalibur gets a bunch of them and it's a whole new team by the time you hit the the late 80s Um, and that's that's the interesting thing about like everything post-mutant massacre is it's like what even are the x-men at that point you know because everything gets fractured into x-factor excalibur mutants it's just like it's a big split of who's who's even on the team by the time you're in australia then it gets like truly truly pretty weird you know even the rosters um so uh, but i i do tend to gravitate to that book okay i i think I think I actually like the team of the New Mutants more, and I think I think uh, Claremont's ideas and X Men are more interesting to me. But I like the dynamics between the teen the teens, and I think that's really it. They just I think he gives them a vulnerability that I appreciate. Um, like the adults are just so surly all the time, <laughs> right? And it's like they're all just like staring off at like the the horizon thinking about like their guilt or whatever and the new mutants have a little bit more like uh, i guess a childlike and a, it's like slightly more relatable for me it feels like he because he's just trying to make them a little more vulnerable and a little less like godly like mythical um that they they feel a little bit more like grounded in human emotion for me because uh like I think, I, I think the new mutants suffer from not actually getting to go to school i i think this yeah. book and this is yeah. something that marvel will tap into later but I, I actually think, like, this team, I think I agree with what you're saying about the characters, but structurally, they're kind of doing the same things as the X-Men. You know, they kind of yeah. wind up in yes. all the same sort of crazy scenarios. Yeah. And I think it's actually, like, 
because Magneto's the headmaster, and that's their home base, right? And that era gets interesting, but they're almost literally never just in school. <laughs> like, yeah. It's never yeah. actually a school. And some of the standout issues are, like, that one where they have the party, where, like, Xavier is, like... You know, like, I'm going to sleep early. Like, hopefully they won't cause too much trouble. And they have a party with, like, the normal <laughs> is, kids. Is Professor X just sleeping during that party? During the slumber party issue? Yeah, he, he says that, like, he's, you know, keeping, a like, a telepathic ear on the party from the, the next I forgot about that. Something. That's amazing. Yeah. That's when Warlock shows up, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's That's awesome. great. Um, all right, I got. Uh, I skipped over one. I, uh, I didn't mean to. Jeff asks, which one of the top-selling comics of all time are you most excited to discuss? The three being McFarlane Spider-Man? Liefeld Nikieza, okay, I was like, I know how to say this, uh, X-Force, and the Claremont Lee adjectiveless X-Men. I forgot that they split off, like, we're going to have Uncanny X-Men and then just X-Men, like, running at the same time, is that right? Yeah, I mean, when, you oh got the, yeah. when you've got the absolute biggest thing in the world, you get another book. Um, yeah. this, is an, this is an interesting framing of this question, uh, looking at the all-timers, right, the, the McFarlane yeah. Spidey. Liefeld, Nicieza, X-Force, and Claremont Lee, X-Men. Um, I will say I'm most... It, will you, why don't you go first? Because I've read them. So so what are you looking forward to? Uh, I have no context for X-Force. I have no idea what that comic is. Yeah. Um, I keep confusing it with... What's the other one? What's the other thing that... <laughs> you're going you're gonna to need to give me more than that. <laughs> Wait, so... No, the Simonson thing is X-Force, right? Like No, that's Simonson. X-Factor. Okay, yes. No, that, I keep confusing it with X-Factor. Right, okay. Because that's what I... I think I actually said that in the first issue we talked about, or first episode we talked about X-Force. I called it X-Factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brute yeah, Force I, is all the animals that get turned into warriors. Ooh, so I love that's, that. that's a different thing. So don't get yeah. it confused with Brute Force, because that launches uh, around here as well. Um, I'm going to just say X-Force, because I think it's the one that's a, a mystery to me. Right? Like, I already kind of feel like I have an idea of what McFarlane Spider-Man delivers, and I like that. Um, Claremont yeah. and Lee on X-Men. Um I think I have an idea of the vibe of that, but I don't really know anything about Liefeld Nikieza. It is Nikieza, so, right? Am I saying that right? Uh, I got to look it up because I have an interview with him lined up uh, oh, in, the, in the coming weeks. So, right, so I should figure that one out. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, think, I think exactly. that's right. Uh, I will say X-Force is the series I know the least about. I have definitely read the least of it, so I'm I'm actually very interested in it for those reasons as well. Um, X-Men is the one I've read the most. So uh, that said, it's it's definitely my favorite of the bunch and the one that I've re-explored uh, a handful of times, um, sometimes even recently. So Claremont Lee Adjective List, I would say, is the one that people should be the most excited about. Um, I don't want to spoil anything either, but McFarlane Spidey, uh, not not what you're hoping <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> doesn't quite, uh, oh, doesn't like, quite deliver. Are, are they talking about him? Does he start writing it? He get, Todd McFarlane gets uh, to write and draw his own Spider-Man series. Oh boy! I mean, uh, you know what? Guess what like, it's called? I don't know. Spider-Man. <laughs> it's adjectiveless <laughs> as well. I, I've been reading some of his Spawn, right? I think I've mentioned this before, and like he is a, such a good and dynamic and interesting visual storyteller, and his actual prose is pretty like. Uh, it, I would it's do not bad. It's not atrocious by any yeah. means, but it's just not great either. Like you can tell. That, you know, like his, where, where he shines is the, you know, maybe he's an even, even a decent writer. He's just, or a plotter, I guess. And maybe just like the actual prosing of it. Prosing? I would do my yeah. Spawn season with you uh, as, as a stretch goal. Because mm-hmm. I have never read any Spawn. And I got to say, I'm pretty curious. Mm-hmm. Um, especially given like a lot of the collaborators that have jumped in there. So yeah. uh, my Spawn season, are we settled on that? Should I lock it in? I don't know. There's other one. I mean, we're going to do something like that. Hellblazer? 
That's what I'm. I'm making my way through Hellblazer right now. That's one that's like every my big Hellblazer UK my hellish year, my year in hell. My hell, my year in hell. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of dig that, except I don't really want to read a ton of Hellblazer. Uh, oh, I love, honestly, I love Hellblazer. Um, I, I love Hellblazer. I've never gotten out of the Jamie Delano era of it. I I've can't. I can't ever it. get out of it if I start at the beginning. No, I'm yeah. trapped. I, I mean, I, I like some of the Garth Ennis stuff, but uh, and Mike Carey's really good later. But anyway, yeah. Um, all right, that'll but be we, my year in hell. Look for that. We'll be sharing it on Patreon. Oh, I mean, that that would work Marvel's for both year. Spawn and Hellblazer. My year in hell. Should we just do? I mean, we could throw Hellboy in the mix if that wasn't you know Persona Lu- non grata, right? Lucifer. That would work as well. Yeah. Lucifer. Oh man, maybe we just do a my year in hell spinoff. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Right, I'd, ra- I'd still about. rather do my mango this year. I would say it's my oh, number one yeah. favorite spinoff. Yeah, potential. yeah, yeah. I've been I've been reading a ton of manga lately. Ain't read me a whole lot of manga. I'll yep. tell you that. Um, all right. So what else we got? We got other questions? Yep. That's it. That's, that's it. it for this. So, yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you for uh, your support over on Patreon.com. Come join the Slack. It's five bucks a month. Ton of fun. Great little community there. Um, if you are listening now, as soon as this is done, I'm going to start because I'm streaming video games a fair amount on the, uh, the Twitch channel. Man, you're like, yeah. you're like a, a regular modern man. Yep. You know, all these I, all I, these streams, all these affiliate twitches. I don't know why. Yeah, we got some subscribers. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to start streaming Kingdom Hearts today. So if you want to I've watch never played stream, a second of Kingdom Hearts, so I, that, I, it's always been a game I've been curious about. It's like a series that I'm incredibly critical of, but I beat the first one twice. <laughs> and I'm like planning on playing it again and trying to get through. You know, so like what, the, uh, what era is this game? Like when did this game come out? 2002. So like I first played okay. it when I was... 13, so, This is what, PS2? Or yeah, even at yeah PS2 the, first, the first two came out on PS2, and then the third one came out on PS4. <laughs> it skipped an entire generation. But, like, oh. there are games that are integral to the main story that are, like, between one and two, some of the main story happens in, like, a Game Boy Advance card-based spin-off game. <laughs> like, yeah. if you don't play that between one and two, you will be confused. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I Yeah, I've never... It, it, let me guess. You were a PlayStation kid, yeah? Yeah, PS2. Well, PS2 and GameCube. Those yeah. were my... Oh, games. you had GameCube as well. Oh, I love You were double dipping. Yeah. I've been playing a ton of GameCube lately. Metroid Prime, Luigi's Mansion, stuff like that. Those Metroid games are straight up, like, top five games all time for me. Like, I've been playing Metroid Prime while I've been games. editing lately. I'm, like, halfway through Metroid Prime. One oh, right man. Now. I love, love that original yeah. Metroid on the GameCube. That game yeah. rules. It gets it's weird still, after that, but uh, it but still, still holds up. Yeah, does it? it too spooky. Yeah. Too spooky for me now. If I was well, playing alone in my wild. house, I have no, no idea what you're talking about. It's not a what <laughs> when you go into like X-ray and the, the black and white and that music hits and the aliens are bopping everywhere. That's a spooky game. Okay, all right, all right, uh, chatters. I want to hear: Is Metroid <laughs> Prime a spooky game or not? Dave, I think the official Dave's episode... next revelation is going to be the, the haunted. Uh... The, the haunted house in Mario 64 with all those boos. It's like you turn around, they start chasing you. If you don't look at them, they chase you. It just scared the crap out of me. <laughs> it's much spookier than that. Come on, it's not Luigi's Mansion. I can deal with that. Mm, uh, no, yeah. Metroid Prime, whew, one of the scariest games I've ever played. All right, <laughs> let's, <laughs> okay. let's wrap it. Uh, this has been My Marvelous Year 1989 variant. Thank you for listening. Um, what else do we want to say? Uh, music for the show is by, by Disaster Piece. Support is via patreon.com slash year. You can find all the issues that we read uh, for for everything in My Marvelous Year in the show notes. Yes. Or again, you can go over to patreon.com slash year to find the full spreadsheet. Yeah? I'm That's Dave. It. Find my stuff at He's Zach. Hey. 
<laughs> we'll see you next year. <laughs> see you next year.